Today's reading is Daniel 6, verses 1 to 23. It can be found on page 820 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel heard, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
When he came near the den, he called to, to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me as we begin? Our gracious God, as we enter into this space together, we come from all kinds of different places. You know where we come from. You know our story. You know where we've been. And you actually know where we're going. That's part of what we hope is true as we come and sit in this place, whether we come hurting or whether we come extremely joyful. We might come uh, at a low point or a high point. All kinds of different places we find ourselves. Lots of faith, renewed faith, or feeling like we're losing faith, or we wonder if uh, it's ever going to feel like it once felt to sing a song in a church, or if it's gone forever, if we are fooling ourselves. Um, or w we may just be coming in for the first time wondering if it's possible, if it's really true, if this could all be real, but we have a hundred questions that we need answered as part of our understanding of who you are. And you meet us in all these places, and we ask that you meet us, and help us also to have the humility and the, um, the maturity to look at our situation and say, you know what, the truth is we're all in the same boat in one important way. We're all more messed up than we care to admit. We don't want other people to know the mess of our lives. And we bring that with us, usually hiding it. And then we find out, then we hear what's true from the stories we read here, that you move towards people with messy lives. And you actually, through your son Jesus, have taken the mess on yourself. You have taken on the woundedness and the brokenness so that we could be brought home to you from wherever we have been. There's no one who's off limits, no one who's messed up too much. So would you bring us home and use these words now to help us come one step closer to you today and this week and the rest of our lives. Join us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, just to cut right to the point, I mean, this is a great story. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. There's intrigue. There's, like, uh, you know, politics going on. There's all kinds of fun stuff happening. There's lions. Right? There's a den of lions. This is, this is wonderful stuff. And what, what really what, what's going on, you can summarize the story pretty quickly, is that there's these administrators, um, and Daniel's one of three, but he's going to be put up above the rest because of his integrity and because of his, his track record. The others are jealous of this. His, his colleagues can't handle this, so they're going to do what you do. You, it's pretty easy, right, with most people. We know this from TV, right? Like It's easy to go find the dirt on somebody to just dig around and find that thing because he's a leader of so many things. He's so high up. Certainly he's making deals. Certainly he's corrupt. 
Um, that, that went without saying to these other administrators and people who were um, going to try to trip up Daniel and try to kind of put him out of the way. But they couldn't find anything. And that was almost more infuri- infuriating and more dangerous, if you think about it. Because they're doing that stuff. They know there's dirt on them. So now this guy's going to be over them. And in a sense, Daniel was like a mysterious, intriguing light to those who were around him. You see how Darius, the king, just loves him, just adores him. Um, but other people, his competition, uh, you know, they say, oh, he's light. That's not good because it shines and exposes us. Darius says, hey, it's nice to be around somebody that's so full of light. Other people say, no, 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 turn the lights off. And so they do their best, and they get actually really vicious. You just think about how utterly vicious it is that they concoct this plan that's just going to smear his reputation and put him in the chamber of death. That's their plan. Um, And Daniel turns out to uh, not be touched by the lions. And um, the king is relieved. And what we didn't read is that the, the great ending of this story, the great reversal in this story, is that the people who concocted the smear plan, they end up getting thrown in the lion den. The lions are suddenly very hungry. That's a great story, right? Um, Tell it to your kids, right? And and not only that, but we get this cool ancient culture kind of stuff where it's not just the bad guys, but it's the bad guys and all their families are thrown in the den too, right? Um, Tough for us to handle, right, when we read these kind of stories, what's going on there culturally, but that's sort of the collective guilt kind of sensibilities of the story. But then this, this is the big grand kind of finale of the story. Instead now of that final stamped edict of the king going out that says, worship me alone, he he draws up a new edict, you know, a new timeless edict, and it's sent out to all the peoples of all the lands around, and basically it says... Not worship me, King Darius, now, but it says, basically, here's the reasons why you should worship the God of Daniel. I mean, what a great reversal in this story. And so, I don't know if you've ever heard people say this, talk about this song. It's taught to children. If you grew up going to church, dare to be a Daniel. You know, maybe you've heard that song, Dare to Stand Alone. And, uh, you know, we attach this to his integrity, his uh, moral scruples. You know, and dare to, to have those kind of scruples. I, I'm going to actually, clearly, I've just explained how the story is about God is very alive. God's kind of in control of this whole situation. God's name gets made great. It's actually not about Daniel. It's about God. But I'm, I'm okay with saying, okay, let's, let's see what we learn from Daniel in the story. So let's, let's consider what it's like to, to learn from Daniel and to maybe be like Daniel. Because Daniel, I think, my theory on this story is Daniel is someone who gets and understands and has rooted his life in the gospel. And in a sense, a lucky you today, because this is a, a word we pull up a lot, we don't always explain it in detail, but the gospel, we use that word a lot here at City Life Church. And today's a day where we're going to see what difference the gospel makes in your life. Kind of what does it mean to have the gospel at the center of your life? What am I talking about the gospel? Well, if you want to end up like Daniel, if you want to have this sort of incredible uh, thing going on that he has in his life, here's the three things we learn. You have to identify your audience, you have to know the verdict, and you have to live in your refuge. All right. Those are our three things. First, identify your audience. 
identify your identity. Some, something very different than what I usually, when I, usually I think of that phrase, I think of what people tell us preachers to do. Know your audience, right? And speak to your audience. Something very different. We mean something very dif- different with this. Because Daniel, his, the secret to Daniel's uh, strength, the secret to Daniel uh, being able, in a sense, to just not lose his foundation amidst all that's happening is who he is living for, who his real audience is. Who is the real audience of Daniel? What happens is his colleagues go about this scheme and it's a smear campaign and everything Daniel has and has, has, has accomplished is about to get wiped out. People are scheming around, smearing his name, talking about him behind his back, planning, making alliances, being incredibly sneaky about him behind his back. What, I mean, imagine that happening to yourself. How would you react? You know what Daniel does? He seems, according to the story, he seems absolutely even keel. As if nothing important to him and to his life is at stake. As people go around and say, your whole reputation is just going to be junked. It's as if nothing that matters to him is at stake. Think about that. He doesn't get paranoid. He doesn't go down in the dumps with the self-defeat thing. You know, He doesn't get angry or vengeful. He doesn't scheme to build new alliances. What he does, basically what the passage tells us in, um, in verse 10, is that, okay, so the, the, the new edict is out. No one should worship anyone other than, or pray to anyone other than King Darius. And then we're told, very matter of fact, what Daniel does, he goes home. He opens his window out to the public. And he continues three times a day to worship and pray to his own God. Completely unaffected by this, by the scheming, by the opinions of everyone, even if the king's going to think badly of me, it's all right, I'm going to just continue on as it was before. It's as if the opinion of others for Daniel has nothing to do with his core happiness. Nothing to do with his core happiness. Now, is that true of you? Probably not. Um, There's a social psychologist named Irving Goffman, who in uh, 1959, he writes this book called The The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. Anyone read that? Oh, all right. Awesome. We've got a couple of people who read that. So in, in in this book, he basically says, we're all doing this sort of living for the opinions of others, that in any kind of social exchange, we're all doing these little subtle things that basically have us acting as if we're on a stage. And we care very much what the audience thinks. Um, quote in your worship guide says, all, this is hit from that, that book, all the world is not, of course, a stage, but the crucial ways in which it isn't are not easy to specify. He calls this our dramaturgical behavior. And basically it's, a lot of us, what it comes down to is a lot of us are wrapped up in impression management as a place we go to, to just feel okay about ourselves, to assure ourselves that things are going all right. And if life really is a stage, then I think the hardest part, the thing that's most excruciating for most of us is those reviews that come out the next morning in the newspaper, right? Metaphorically speaking, it's, the, it's how you're judged for what you've done on stage and how well, you've performed. The idea that um, you stop and you think, why does criticism just destroy me internally? Even the smallest amount, why does it just put me absolutely on edge 
and like everything is hanging in the balance. I found this interesting. Uh, this week, the Cy Young Award was given out to baseball players. And um, so here's this guy. His name's R.A. Dickey, and he's a knuckleballer, which is super rare. He's the only knuckleballer in baseball right now, I'm told. I don't really follow baseball that closely. But this is in the news this week, and he gets this award, which basically is saying everyone in the world of baseball, which is where you... R.A. Dickey, this is where you spend all of your time and all of your energy and all of your resources. Everyone in that world is saying, almost unanimously, you're the best. You get the best award. Our opinion of you is, you know, we've all voted. And literally, there's a vote count, you know, and it was overwhelming. And this is is what he says about that. Someone asked him about, where are you going to put this award? You know, kind of getting at, like, how... How do you feel getting such a huge award that says so much about the opinions of the world around you? This is what he said in an interview this week. For a long time, I had my identity wrapped up in who I was as a baseball player. So when I wouldn't perform well, I would not be who I should have been. I've learned over time and with help that that's not a healthy way to live. I want you to think about that. Have you learned that? Have you learned that lesson? Have you hit that wall in a sense that he had to hit eventually and say, is it, why, why do I continue to not be who I know I should be and know I could be? Maybe it's because I'm living for the audience. Which audience am I living for? And this is why Daniel is so unusual because Daniel just shows us. Daniel's just clear. He's not living for the audience that we would all live for in this moment. He just goes up to his room and continues on as it was. He's going to lose the favor of all his peers, and yet what you see very clearly here is he's still anchored. What would you be like? Where would you find yourself? You lose the favor of your peers, of your parents. You lose the favor of your significant other. You lose the favor of your work. Um, You know, for, for a lot of us, you can have 20 relationships that are close to you, your work, home, uh, neighborhood, and that 19 of them could think, you are great, you're the best thing since apple pie, and one of them is a little frustrated with you, a little, you know, not really thinking you're the greatest, and maybe talking a little bit, and you could be up at night, you know, the ulcers come, just one. It's like the 19 suddenly mean nothing. So... Can you lose the approval of wherever, whatever audience you're looking to? Can you lose that and still be anchored and not be completely destroyed? Daniel could, and his secret is in his name. Right? So how do we know who's, who's Daniel's audience? I haven't said yet. I haven't specifically said. I'm just kind of dwelling on this because it's so important for us to examine this. But who is Daniel's audience? It's actually in his name. His name means, ready, God is my judge. God is my judge. You have to know, uh, you have to identify your audience. That was Daniel's ultimate audience, and it shows in his behavior, not just his words. But let's move on, because you have to also know the verdict. A lot of us don't linger very long on the idea of God being our judge, right? There's a reason City Life Church hasn't decided that our, our kind of, our, our motto, our slogan is, God is your judge. Sunday, 4 o'clock. You know, I mean, uh, there's, there's a reason, right? We tend to run away from this idea of let, let me let God be my ultimate audience. I don't know. What's God going to think? 
How am I going to do? What's the verdict going to be if God is my judge? Well, I want to argue that Daniel knows what the verdict is, and that's why he's like, in fact, he says it in verse 22, but that's well into the story. He says, um, I was found innocent in his sight. Those are powerful words, and that's the gospel, actually, in those words. I was found innocent in his sight, and I want to argue with that, that the only way Daniel could have acted the way he acted is that he already knew that. That was not new to him in verse 22. That was already in verse 1 of this chapter. I'm innocent in his sight. You know, most of us don't spend very much time lingering on the idea of God is our judge, like I said, or maybe God should be my primary audience, and I want to do this transformative thing of identifying how I have this audience here of my peers or my work or my family, and I want to transfer that sense of who my real audience is to God. I want God to be that. Most of us don't make that big leap and that big transition because we've got all these things that we imagine happening as soon as we allow God to be our judge. Um, in a sense, we think he's gonna, maybe he's going to say, you should dare to be like a Daniel, and we're going to say, ah, oh, but I can't, or I haven't, and we're going to just be buried under the weight of this. I want to say that if, one of our problems is if we would just spend two seconds, really, considering what the Bible says about God being your main audience and looking to God as your judge, if we would just spend, as scary as it is, if we would just stop and consider for two seconds what would open up for you is this whole drama throughout all of the Bible of example after example of God getting extremely creative about desperately almost being obsessed with the idea of you being found innocent in his sight. Find some way, as much as, as the Bible goes, as much as everyone seems to constantly be trying to work, work to prove him wrong in that, he continues to come up with new creative ways to try to make it legitimate that he could say, you come back home, you are found innocent in my sight. So you got that with the covenant with Abraham. You've got it with this whole, it's strange to us, but this whole sacrifice sacrificial system of the ancient Israelites. All of it is God saying over and over through all the stories, I'm going to find some way. And eventually, he gets really creative. And there's, a, in a sense, there's another Daniel that comes, a more perfect Daniel, because Daniel actually wasn't perfect. The one little clue we have to this is that the one only clue we're given about his prayer life is that Daniel regularly says, in his prayer life, he's asking God for help. There was a new Daniel. And as you look at it in the New Testament, you have Jesus who allowed himself to be thrown, you know, allowed people to scheme and get him thrown to the lions, as it were. And he didn't come out unharmed. He took on the scratches, the wounds. He went to his death on the cross. And this, this new Daniel, he also came out of the tomb that was sealed alive. And this, friends, this is, this is what you need. This is the verdict that you can live with, that God is obsessed. If you look at Scripture, it's over and over and over God saying, I want you desperately to know. Not only do I want these legitimate means that I'm planting into your life so that you'll You'll know that I have made you innocent. I've done the work to bring you home as one who belongs in my presence. But I want, you, I want to help you as it happens. I want to help you believe that that's true. I want it to start to work its way into your life. Can you spend a little bit of time just considering this drama of God over and over saying, I want to 
make a way for you to be found innocent in my sight, eventually through Jesus himself. Well, and it's very hard to do these, these two things. To, um, to, you know, but this, that's the gospel, to, to know that verdict and to have it drop down into the cracks of your life in every way that you're looking to some other verdict that's going to finally save the day for you, finally make you feel okay about yourself, and to let that message of innocence through the cross of Jesus fall and trickle and make its way down into your heart. That's the gospel. So if you can start to do this, if you can start to identify your audience and you know the true verdict about you that God has made on your behalf, then you can begin to live in your refuge. Live in your refuge. Um, Daniel is living in, in confidently in uh, God's refuge. God is his refuge. Um, God is his refuge from the lions. And if you follow some of the other lion imagery in scripture, he, has, he knows confidently that he has the lion of Judah to protect him against any smaller issues, smaller lions that might attack. It's one way to look at it. The Bible talks about lions a lot. In Psalms, the book of prayer talks about, okay, so you've got like Psalm, chapter, Psalm 7, uh, verse 2. He says, verse 1 and 2, Lord my God, I take refuge in me, in you. I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. In Psalm 57, the psalmist, the people of God are taught to pray this. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among man-eating beasts whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Taking refuge in God amidst the lions and the lion attacks of this world and saying, I'm going to be okay in life because I have this refuge in the one who now has convinced me that his verdict stands over me, I'm found innocent. So the Christian, basically, Christianity means that the Christian can have utter confidence and certainty that through the cross, and this is over and over in the New Testament, through the cross you have explicit certainty that you've been made innocent and that innocent status before God becomes your, becomes your confidence that God is your refuge, that he'll do anything to protect you. And I think that actually what we end up doing instead, where we find ourselves too often, is actually looking to the lions of this world for refuge and they can turn on you in a dime, in a second. Think about how easily Daniel had the favor of the king of the whole land. I mean, King Darius adored him. King Darius tried to do everything he could to stop the scheme from getting played out in the end. But it couldn't save Daniel from the lion's den. You can play your cards perfectly with the opinions of the world, with the audience around you. And in a snap, you can feel yourself just crippled and crumbled and your foundation gone. And so, look, this, the story of Daniel says basically turn to God, find your innocence, find your refuge, and then you'll find true life. Just imagine this, just in closing. Imagine you wake up and you believe every day more and more that God has found you innocent, that his, you have 
earned his favor, the God of heaven and earth looks upon you with favor and with a smile. His face shines upon you. And you'd wake up and you'd actually live as if that is true every day. Then, you, then things happen like with Daniel where you're about to lose everything. And you just kind of somehow have this mysterious ability to continue as if you're actually not losing anything. Imagine waking up and that's true about you. Imagine um, you face some loss or some major disappointment or financial troubles come your way or maybe they've already come your way. You have some troublesome person in your life. All of these things and all of a sudden your complete sensibility with respect to those challenges changes. You have a different anchor. You have a different, you're even keel. You can get through. Your shoulders are, are, are squared off and you're walking tall even though you should be terrified and screaming and crying out. Imagine most of all that, and I think this, this, for a lot of people, this is just so huge to even imagine. Imagine that you, there's a way to live completely free of the game of impression management. You just, it just don't, it doesn't even compute anymore. You're not even playing that game. Imagine where your energy would go. Imagine where your time would go. Imagine where your money would go. Imagine what would happen if at your core that was changed. That's the gospel. Be like Daniel. <laughs> right? I'm not saying, and this is where we often get the gospel wrong, is that we say, certainly, we want to approach God so we need to have meticulous, ethical scruples. No, be like Daniel and know who your audience is. Know the verdict is out. And just live in that refuge of the Lion of Judah. Let's pray. Our gracious God, uh, we need so much help. Daniel prayed for your help, and we pray for your help, that we would know this. Our minds are thick, and we have uh, barriers galore, getting in between us and be believing the message that's, that the scriptures say is true about us. Well, King Darius could see that there was something more than just Daniel's moral fortitude. That it wasn't in the end Daniel to be praised and an edict to go out and say Daniel is great, but he could see that it was Daniel's God who was great, that it is you. May you help us, please help us, Holy Spirit, that we might see that too. And that eventually, perhaps even once in a while, Others might see that that's true about us as well. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.